Welcome to the Dyad Presents, a video game music podcast. I'm the Dyad, and this is Sweet 16. Sweet 16. Our sweet TurboGrafx 16, that is. Kicking off what will be back to back themed weeks, more on that next time, today I'll be playing tracks from the PC Engine and TurboGrafx 16. Bringing us in this week is the title theme from the game Burning Angels, composed by Hiroshi Nishikawa and Makiko Ito. And of course, it comes from the PC Engine slash TurboGrafx 16. Actually, Burning Angels was a PC Engine exclusive. Developed by Zap Corporation and published by Naxat Soft, the game is yet another vertical scrolling shoot-'em-up to appear on the show. It features two different ships titled Dragon and Phoenix, and players can play solo or co-op. Probably the only thing this game is remembered for is the two main characters. Scantily clad heroines designed to mimic the characters of the anime Dirty Pair. In Burning Angels, the women appear in several cutscenes in risque attire. Since 1998, Naxat has been known as Kaga Tech Co. Limited, but many of their video games are still sold under the Naxat name. The company is probably most known for its attempts to compete with Hudson's Caravan video game marathon, 
which I talked about briefly in a previous episode. Most VGM nerds are probably all too familiar with Naxat's interesting game, Summer Carnival 92, Rekka. Rekka manipulates the NES hardware to create totally unique music for the system. A track from the game is definitely on my list. Rekka is the only Summer Carnival game to appear on the Famicom, with the rest on the PC Engine CD. Because this is my first system-specific theme episode, I thought I would spread out the system overview information. I'll talk a little bit about the console between several tracks rather than smushing it all together. The TurboGrafx-16 is a fourth-generation video game console developed by Nippon Electric Company, or NEC, and Hudsonsoft. It's known in Japan as the PC Engine and was released there on October 30th, 1987. It later made its way to North America on August 29, 1989, and saw an extremely limited release in Europe in 1990. The console is known as the PC Engine Plus in the UK, where many gamers preferred importing the Japanese PC Engine instead, and it's simply known as the Turbo Graphics elsewhere in Europe. NEC was established at the turn of the 20th century to produce telephone components. They had gone on to become one of the world's leading computer manufacturers, and by the 1980s, NEC was intrigued by the lucrative console market. But they lacked the industry experience. So NEC reached out to several game studios for assistance, eventually linking up with Hudson Soft. It just so happened that Hudson was also exploring the possibility of making its own gaming system. As for Hudson, the company was founded by brothers Yuji and Hiroshi Kudo in 1973. According to John Grainier, former president of Hudson Entertainment, they originally began by selling telecommunication devices and some art photographs. Within two years, they began selling computer-related products and soon afterwards, the company started to make games. In fact, they were the first to publish a PC game in Japan. Hudson Soft also provided much of the PC Engine software and uh, created well-known characters such as PC Kid, aka Bonk, and Bomberman which made their first appearances on the machine. Thus, Hudson became the brains and NEC became the bank. While it may not have the same notoriety in America, the partnership would create one of the most successful and influential Japanese consoles of all time. So after that primer, let's take a quick break from my droning and get back into some music. I'll be playing a double feature exhibiting some much more lighthearted songs. I tried to grab a decent variety of music for the show today. Whether or not I was successful remains to be seen, but the good news is for TG16 fans that I now have a huge glut of tracks to toss into future episodes. First, from the game Mizubaku Daiboken, aka Liquid Kids, composed by Kazuko Umino, the track Let's Get On, More Friends. And there's lots of exclamation points in there. Then, from the game Kato-chan Ken-chan, aka JJ and Jeff, composed by Takeaki Kunimoto, the track Field 3. <laughs>
Disturbingly named Liquid Kids is a single-player platformer featuring Hippopo, a platypus, although he's referred to as a hippo, who must fight his way through enemy-packed levels in search of his missing girlfriend. Armed with water bombs, which can be thrown at enemies, Hippopo rescues other platypuses along the way. Once soaked, the enemies can then be kicked and destroyed completely. If the game mechanic sounds familiar, it's Taito going back to the well they used to create the earlier sensation, Bubble Bobble. For Liquid Kids, though, the action isn't limited to a single screen. The game is essentially the next evolution in Taito's cutesy platform games, following closely on the heels of their prior effort, The New Zealand Story. For an extremely extensive review of the Bubble Bobble lineage, check out the Retronauts podcast episode that covers the entire franchise. As for Kato-chan Ken-chan, it's a platformer developed and published by Hudson, loosely based on the former Japanese comedy television show Fun TV with Kato-chan and Ken-chan. The show starred comedians Cha Kato and Ken Shimura as hosts. The series was later used as the inspiration for the popular television show America's Funniest Home Videos. The game is noted for its offbeat characters and enemies and potty humor, complete with weaponized farts and superfluous peeing and pooping. At least in the Japanese release, the game is often criticized for being overly censored and sanitized for the American version. It made sense to change the main characters in the game for its release in America because the TV show wasn't something that the American players would be familiar with, but the vast majority of the changes were just neutering the toilet humor. For example, the notorious fart attack is changed to a spray can attack. Also, throughout the game you'll find the character you didn't choose doing something lewd in the background. You can kick them to make them stop. Instead of urinating in the background, North America changed it to the partner just kind of awkwardly standing, facing away from the screen. And lastly, instead of your partner pooping behind some bushes, he's simply squatting and wearing a weird bear mask. Moving back to the PC Engine, under the hood there is an 8-bit CPU, a 16-bit video color encoder, and a 16-bit video display controller. It's capable of displaying 482 colors simultaneously out of 512. With dimensions of a mere 5.5 inches by 5.5 inches by 1.5 inch, the Japanese PC Engine is the smallest major home game console ever made. In short, the hardware was known for its tiny size but powerful performance. It was an 8-bit machine but with 16-bit bus and graphics chips. This meant that it was a very good platform for shoot-em-up games because it was able to move around many sprites at once, and we know Hudson is deeply involved with the shmup genre. Games themselves were stored on Hudson Sauce proprietary Who card cartridges, or on a CD-ROM with a TurboGrafx CD add-on. More on that soon. A Who card is a ROM cartridge about the size of a credit card and an evolution from an earlier Hudson Soft technology, the B card. The B-Card was developed in the early 1980s as a distribution medium for MSX computer software. While most video game cartridges have large plastic housing to protect the PCB while providing enough space inside for radiant heat, the PCB in a Hue card, or B-Card, is protected by a rigid, glossy polymer that conducts heat. Since the PC Engine and TurboGrafx-16 leave one side of the card partially exposed while inserted in the console, 
heat disperses with less obstruction. For example, compare this with the NES for anyone who's cracked one open or seen what the inside looks like. The actual real estate used by the card and connectors is relatively limited compared to the entire size. The name PC Engine was picked because the first unit was supposed to be the core of an expandable system akin to a personal computer. Unfortunately, the only part of the plan that actually was released was the CD-ROM expansion in 1989, although this did lead the system to producing cinematic games long before competitors like the Mega CD. In fact, the console's success was mainly due to the PC Engine CD-ROM peripheral, which allowed greater storage space, more RAM, and higher audio quality than rival consoles. It also had a huge library of CD-ROM games released exclusively in Japan. I'll get a bit more into the CD-ROM add-on specs after I play another double feature. Two PC CD-ROM games, in fact. First, from Kaze no Densetsu Xanadu 2, composed by... Okay, here we go. Atsushi Shirakawa, Hirafumi Matsuoka, Masaru Nanjakima, Meiko Ishikawa, Naoki Kaneda, Satoshi Arai, and Takahiro Tsunashima. The track is called Immovable Fossil. Then, from the game Shin Megami Tensei, composed by Hitoshi Sakimoto, Naoko Mikami, and Tsukasa Masuko, the track is called Shop.
Once again, we find ourselves tangled in Nihon Falcom's complicated Dragon Slayer lineage. Xanadu 2 is an offshoot of the Legend of Heroes series and considered the seventh part of the Dragon Slayer series. At least, the original Xanadu is. Xanadu 2 is the sequel, another action RPG. I'm hoping I'm managing to keep this all straight, but with every new track, I lose a little bit of confidence in my ability to do so. Nihon Falcom took advantage of the CD platform, offering huge worlds, expansive cutscenes, and lots of colorful characters and voice dialogue. It was heavily promoted at the time of release, and there was even a manga based on it. Uh, it's remembered as one of the hallmark RPGs on the platform. While the title literally translates to Legend of the Wind Xanadu, the official English translation is just The Legend of Xanadu. Like every game in the Dragon Slayer series, there's almost nothing to do with the original Xanadu. The Legend of Xanadu 2 takes place three years after the first game, mostly starring the same set of characters. There are a series of tweaks and improvements from the original game, though. The amount of backtracking has been reduced a bit, the shop slot machine is gone, and you no longer turn into ghosts after dying. According to Hardcore Gaming 101, it essentially smooths out some of the weirder aspects of the first game, and in general, it's a much easier game. Shin Megami Tensei literally translates as True Goddess Reincarnation. It's a post-apocalyptic role-playing video game developed and published by Atlas, originally released in 1992 for the Super Famicom. It was eventually ported to a number of systems, including the PC CD-ROM 2. It's the third game in the Megami Tensei series and the first in the central Shin Megami Tensei series. There is a lot to talk about with the series, but unfortunately I'm going to have to gloss over it in this episode. I'll make sure to get deeper into it later. It's really unique and there's a lot to love about the franchise, but I'm trying to spend the majority of time this episode talking about the hardware. So, the PC Engine CD-ROM device was the first system to introduce the CD-ROM format. The format itself was only officially released by Sony and Philips just months before. In fact, it even predated the FM Town's computer by a couple months and the Sega CD console add-on by several years. The platform got a full redesign in 1991 as the PC Engine Duo, or Turbo Duo. The Duo console merged the card-playing base console and the CD-ROM add-on into one piece of hardware. Much more convenient. Initially, playing CD-ROM games on a TG-16 required the use of a system cart, which carried the BIOS data required to properly access the TG-CD hardware. When the Duo was released, an updated version of the firmware was included in the console itself, booting whenever the system was powered up without a card inserted into the card slot. The firmware was upgraded to allow the platform to play Super CD releases. Owners of the existing non-Duo version of the platform were forced to buy a new system card called the Super System Card to play the same discs. And in Japan, even one further upgrade was released known as the Arcade Card. Only a handful of games known as arcade CDs were released that required the arcade card upgrade, uh, and it wasn't even released outside of Japan. For whatever reason, I found visualizing this setup a little bit difficult, so uh, basically you just need to insert a cartridge into your system in order to be able to play the CD that's attached to it, essentially. And then there were various lines of upgrades, which required 
new cartridges, depending on what version you had. It's a little bit more confusing than that, I think, but there you have it. Also, eventually an online modem was planned for the console in Japan. It was in order to compete with the online services of the Nintendo Famicom and Sega Mega Drive, and later the Super Famicom, but it was eventually cancelled. My next track comes from the game called Time Ball, composed by Masakatsu Maikawa. The track is called Labyrinth. is a puzzle game released by NEC in 1990. The object of the game is to guide a ball along pieces of track by moving the tiles like a sliding puzzle. The game's name in Japan is Blodia, which is an anagram of Diablo, the title of the computer game upon which Blodia is based. Versions of Blodia were released exclusively in Japan for the original Game Boy and the Sharp X68000. A spin-off titled Blodia Land Puzzle Quest was released for the Famicom, replacing the ball with cartoon dinosaur creatures. These versions were developed by Tonkin House and published by Broderbund. The last thing I wanted to talk about with regards to the system is a little bit more detail on the sound processor. The PC Engine has only three main chips in it, the CPU plus sound, the graphics processor, and the video encoder. The system uses the QC6280A audio chip, which allowed for six wavetable synthesis audio channels. The waveforms were programmable, so the composers weren't limited to the standard selection of waveforms, like 
square wave, sine, sawtooth, triangle, etc. That being said, the use of standard and semi-standard waveforms like a 25% pulse wave were used fairly often. As far as getting into a more, I don't know, digestible, easy to understand explanation of what wavetables and programming them is, I have a basic enough understanding, but it's hard for me to put it into words and simplify it. I think if I have some time, I'd like to sit down and do like a real basics crash course on it in one of the episodes because, you know, don't take for granted that people know this stuff. And unless you look it up, it's unlikely that you know, you know, how to program a wavetable. Anyway, the first two audio channels were capable of LFO or low frequency oscillation. This is basically used to create audio effects such as vibrato, tremolo, and phasing, for example. The last two audio channels were capable of making uh, noise generation. Also, optional software allowed for sampled sound to be streamed into any of the six PCG audio channels. In addition, the CD-ROM peripheral added CD-DA sound and a single AD-PCM channel to the existing sound capabilities of the PC Engine. And that pretty much covers everything I wanted to talk about. Thanks for bearing with me as I try something new. I hope you found something new and interesting in there somewhere. Also. Holy cow, I'm looking at the timestamp of just my audio recording, my voice, and it's like basically longer than the first episode of the podcast by itself. So I guess that means we should probably wrap it up pretty soon. And one final note, the last track this week is also the 100th song I've played on the show. To me, that makes this a special occasion. To mark it, I saved one of the best games for last. In fact, it's probably one of the top 10 soundtracks to appear in the system's lifecycle. And maybe some of the deep nerd cred VGM fans may have even guessed it already. That would be truly magical. Unfortunately, I'm gonna skip the game rundown on this as well, because I can assure you it's guaranteed to make multiple appearances on the show, and like I said, I really need to wrap things up. Anyway. Before I go, as always, special thanks to Alan Euler, aka Periodical, for mixing and editing the show. You can follow the show at thedietpresents.blogspot.com, and you can... Hmm. What kind of unprofessional noob leaves his phone on when he's recording a podcast? You know what? I'm going to leave this in. <clears throat> From the top. You can follow the show at thedietpresents.blogspot.com, and you can subscribe via your favorite podcatcher. And don't forget to rate the show on iTunes. You can follow me on Twitter at The Diet, or you can email me at thedietpresents at gmail.com. There's also a Facebook page you can find by searching for the name of the podcast or by at The Diet. Without further ado, until next time, from the game Magical Chase, composed by Masaharu Iwata and Hitoshi Sakimoto. Oh, and I took the title from the official Magical Chase original soundtrack CD. This is Variations on a Raw Melody.